0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck. Jerry is not here. She's stepped away for a minute, digitally speaking, but she's still here in spirit. So this is Stuff You Should Know.
0: Jerry's looking for love in all the wrong places, right?
1: That's right. And Chuck, uh, I was not really cognizant of what was going on uh, when all of this was happening. But there's a period of time where, like, country was just beyond cool in America. Like, it was the popular culture.
0: Yeah. I mean, I really remember it. And you're, what, five years younger?
1: At least.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Never gets old. Uh, it, It is a time that I remember well when the t- TV show Dallas, and when country, you know, had these big crossover stars like Eddie Rabbit and Juice Newton mm-hmm. and Mickey Gilly and Kenny Rogers, and Kenny Rogers was making these big Hollywood movies, and Dolly Parton was making big Hollywood movies. It was mm-hmm. it was an interesting time, and it was uh, it was sort of the beginning of the change of country music from. Sort of more underground outlaw cowboy Johnny Cash Willie Nelson Waylon Jennings stuff mm-hmm. to the big AMA's country thing that we see today, and I think the transition was kind of happening back then in the yeah. late seventies, early eighties.
1: That seems to be where it finds its roots is is in this area, this era where it turned into pop, basically. Yeah, and the transition from. um like you were saying, that kind of outlaw, like hardcore country um, to pop by way of easy listening, which is a pretty hard left turn if you think about it. But this that easy listening um was featured prominently on the soundtrack for a movie called Urban Cowboy. You betcha. Which in one of the more surprising things I've ever come across in our research in the 13 years we've been doing this. Happy anniversary, by the way
0: yeah um uh yeah like right now ish right,
1: basically, yeah, all right, and uh, close enough to that, it's worth saying happy anniversary for thanks, man, you too um the one of the more surprising things I've ever come across is that since we're talking about mechanical bulls today, you can't tell the story of mechanical bulls without John Travolta I know right, who knew i not me, did you know that that was tied together intimately, Yes. urban cowboy and mechanical bulls
0: one thousand percent.
1: Uh, well, it was a big surprise for me and a pleasant one, too. Like, I'm still on cloud nine after <laughs> learning about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was, I guess I was a little kid, so you would have been a, a, just a baby uh, yeah. at the time. So it makes sense that this is more cemented in my memory. But I remember Urban Cowboy, I just remember it all being a very big deal. Um, like, people like Olivia Newton-John were, were, people were making country albums that normally didn't because it was just the, the hot ticket. It was a big deal.
1: Yeah, it really was. Um and like I like I watch enough um Me TV and stuff to 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 be able to recognize this era What's and VTV? it not seem weird to me. Uh it's I think it stands for Memorable Entertainment Television. It's all uh-huh. like old Nostalgia. reruns from the
0: 70s. Is it a channel or can? is it like a streaming app?
1: It, it's a channel. Um we have one of those like antennas you can get. Mhm. A, a digital antenna. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of like really good um rerun like uh What's the word I'm looking for? I guess nostalgia TV Mm -hmm. out there, and MeTV is one of them. But anyway, you know, every once in a while, probably every sixth or seventh episode of Bionic Woman or Six Million Dollar Man will suddenly have some weird country trucker lumberjack theme going on. (laughs) Yeah. And you can tell it's like it's because that was the cool thing right then, you know?
0: It was. I mean, like I said, Dallas was a big tv show and the dallas cowboys and the dallas cowboy cheerleaders was the biggest thing going and and Mm -hmm. bj and the bear and the dukes of hazard and right it was it was this weird time in america where like this southern and western country western culture was at the fore it's it's very strange and it coincided with punk and new wave and you know it's it's a very weird kind of cool time in this country i think
1: but the the One of the things that came out of this, one of the things that was popular at the time that really tied into this country zeitgeist that was, like, the basis of the pop culture at the time was mechanical bull riding. Right. (laughs) That, That is something you would do if you were trying to show off at some bar. It doesn't matter where the bar was in the United States, and I suspect in other parts of the Western world as well. Um that that you would ride a mechanical bull wearing a cowboy shirt and tight jeans, mm-hmm. uh, even though you were from you know Miami or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's funny when I was reading this and they were saying like they have them in New York and Los. They had them in New York and Los Angeles and it's popular everywhere. The first thing I thought was I bet they had them in Japan. Surely, I was looking. I'm like, I, I
1: wonder if it's just some like throwback retro uh like mechanical bull riding trend somewhere in the world i couldn't find any any mention of it anywhere but surely it is somewhere you know
0: it seemed like a good fit uh but the mechanical bull if you don't know what one is you're not under a rock everybody <laughs> you could be very much <laughs> aware of many things in the world and not know what one is it is
1: boy chuck you've really softened and mellowed in your old age i
0: really have uh it is it is a a, a simulation of bull riding, the rodeo sport of bull riding. It is a literally a mechanical bull. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about how it's made and what it looks like. But, you know, it, it's uh, – go Google a picture. You sit on it, mm-hmm. and someone is in control of it on the other end. And it mimics the bucking of a bull as if a human were riding on it. And they are very popular in bars, touristy bars usually. In and Japan. It, maybe in Japan. <laughs> There's one in in New York City at Johnny Utah's that uh, I have some stories about later. But um, the mechanical bull basically can be used to train a rodeo rider, uh, although it's usually just for entertainment purposes.
1: Yeah, what's really interesting about what you just said, that it's used for training, is it's not entirely clear if the mechanical bull was used to train rodeo riders first or was used as an amusement at honky tonk bars first, and then became used to train rodeo riders. Right, it has a really hazy origin, and it's possible that it evolved um, in parallel in multiple places because there there was a need for training rodeo riders on. Artificial bulls, because part of rodeo that kind of grew out in the nineteenth century in America as um, rodeo riding developed based on some of the the Mexican blood sports with bulls um, as they made their way up north in the United States the southwestern u s um, bull riding just kind of came out of nowhere rather than you know tour doors, um it was it got translated into bull riding and if you want to train on riding a bull, you're way better off finding something to simulate the bull than learning how to ride a bull by riding a bull, you know?
0: Yeah, although, you know what, I did see somewhere, and I couldn't verify it in a lot of places, but I did see in the 16th century in Mexico, they were actually riding bulls. Uh, I mean, I believe it. Yeah. So that might if have you, just been a part of the blood sport of bull uh, fighting.
1: If you're a tough guy and you see a bull,
0: you say, I'm going to ride that bull. Watch this. <laughs> Maybe so. Uh, in, the, in the 1930s in the United States, the Rodeo Cowboy Association was formed. So it was a full deal by the 1930s. Uh, the one thing we do know is that the precursor to the mechanic, the mechanized or mechanical bull was mm-hmm. the bucking barrel, which um, if you could just do an image search for bucking barrel, you've probably seen these at some point. It is – uh, a barrel, like a oil barrel, tipped on its side mm-hmm. with a saddle on it, and it's suspended off the ground and tied at four corners with some pretty heavy-duty tight rope. And um, you would go sit on that, that barrel, on that saddle, and you would have four ranch hands try and throw you off of it. And imagine that was a lot of fun.
1: Yes, which, I mean, it's dangerous in and of itself, especially if the ranch hands are jerks. But it's a lot safer than riding a bull when you're practicing riding to ride a bull. You yeah, know? I
0: would. I would ride a bucking barrel if I was at one of those uh, city slickers like uh, cattle rustling things, and they were like, "You want to get on the bucking barrel, partner?" I'd say, "Heck yeah!" But I would. You could not pay me to get on a real mechanical bull.
1: Oh, I don't know. I I was watching some. Um, there, there's like mechanical bull throw. Compilations, people falling off mechanical <laughs> yeah, bulls.
0: I watched quite a bit of this.
1: <laughs> What's the funniest ones are the ones that happen in slow motion. Yeah. Like the camera's not in slow motion. It's just the person is sliding right. off in
0: slow motion. Yeah. That's usually how it works instead of yeah. really being thrown.
1: You're right. It seems you like, like pretty, my legs on there. Pretty not dangerous. So I would ride a mechanical bull if I ever encountered one.
0: Yeah. I'm not into it. But we'll hey, talk man, it.
1: <laughs> That's fine.
0: I won't yum your yuck. Well, I mean, there, we'll talk injuries later on. It, it's, uh, it can get oh, yeah. pretty badly.
1: I think we should that's, that's it's worth saying where like you can really get injured on a mechanical bull. Maybe not live bull level but don't ride live bulls anyway. Let's just put that one out there and then if you're going to ride a mechanical bull know that it's still very dangerous and can be.
0: That's right. So um should we take a break?
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. I'm not, we won't come to blows. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) I'll just go along
0: with it. All right, we'll take a break, and then we'll talk more about this funny thing right after this.
1: So, Chuck, um, I was saying, like, the origins of mechanical bulls are fairly hazy. Um, We are pretty sure that they came from the bucking barrel, that that preceded them. Mm -hmm. But it's not entirely clear that the mechanical bull descended from the bucking barrel in the rodeo world or into the amusement world first. Like, uh, Ed put this together for us, and he looked high and low to find primary source, but couldn't find one. But he saw a lot of, like, mentions of a place called Bertrand Island, an amusement park in New Jersey that supposedly had a mechanical bull back in the 30s.
0: Yeah, this was in New Jersey. And I think this is what the deal is. I saw this referenced a lot online. And there is a coffee table book about Bertrand Island Amusement Park. Mm -hmm. And I bet you dollars to donuts, there is a picture of this Ride Cowboy Ride in that book, because they all referenced this book, but I didn't have time nor the inclination to buy this book to prove it to myself. Okay. But I, I have a feeling that there was a picture of this Ride Cowboy Ride in this in this coffee table book about Bertrand Island Amusement Park in the 1930s.
1: Okay, I've got a great idea. Let's get in the Wayback
0: Machine, okay. and we'll <laughs> go to the printing of that book, and we'll look through one of the books. Are you ready? Now, well, why don't we just go back to the Bertrand Island Amusement Park in the 30s? And ride the thing. I guess we could have done. Okay, all right. Let's do that. I mean, instead. or we can go to a book printing shop. Okay,
1: we'll go to Bertrand Island. You ready? <laughs> right, yes, let's okay. do it. Okay, all right. here we are. There it is. There it is. We have definitively proven it. There was a rideum cowboy mechanical bull. Um, <laughs> Bertrand, what year is it right now?
0: Uh, well, I'm looking at my... Uh, Shark Surf Watch, and it says 1932.
1: Okay, 1932 mechanical bull at Bertrand Island Amusement Park.
0: All right, I guess we should just go back. All right. Well, um, it's weird that we went back and we didn't ride it or get any saltwater taffy or hit the big strongman bell. Like, could have just gone to do the printing
1: press place.
0: I guess we should have, huh? <laughs> But we probably
1: had a little candy dish with saltwater taffy there that we could have grabbed.
0: So if you talk mechanical bulls, you're going to hear the name Sherwood Cryer come up a lot. Uh, some people might mistakenly say he invented the mechanical bull. Uh, certainly is could be looked at as the sort of grandfather of the mechanical bull. But he owned a mechanical bull in his saloon in the 70s that we'll get to later. But it was built by a man named uh, – actually, I don't know if he – built it, Joe Turner built it, but Joe Turner in New New Mexico at the very least held the patent for this mechanical bull.
1: Right. Um, I saw it with my own two eyes, but it's from 1976. Right. So, Joe Turner definitely didn't invent the mechanical bull, although he was an inventor of the mechanical bull, but we can say definitively since Sherwood Cryer bought the patent from Joe Turner that Sherwood Cryer is not the inventor of the mechanical bull, even though I believe even um, Wikipedia cites him as the inventor. Really? Yeah, I was surprised to see that. Right. Um, but, yeah, uh, he's very widely held to be the the um, the inventor. But he even said there was an interview with him in the Austin Chronicle in the late 90s where he said he talks about how he bought it off of um, Joe Turner for $30,000. Mm-hmm. And it will become clear why he did that and why that was actually a really good move on his part later on.
0: That's right. But if you want to talk about the mechanics of the mechanical bull, it is a hydraulic-based machine Mm -hmm. that has a couple of motors on it. It's got a a center shaft and a main gearbox that make up the spin motor. And that's the one that's going to spin it. It's going to turn it back and forth. It usually... When you see them operated, they usually rarely even go a full 360 before they turn back and go the other way, because that's kind of the whole object is to keep this thing moving in different directions.
1: Right, and it's turn back in the other direction is usually very sudden and
0: harsh. it is abrupt.
1: There's abrupt. Thank you, buddy. Um, And then there's another motor usually above the uh, bottom motor. And that, that that motor has to do with um, moving pistons up and down. Like, imagine a platform that, that the saddle sits on, that the, bil- the bull is built around, that the rider actually sits on this platform. It moves from side to side and up and down and left and right. So, you have a, you have a, a, a lot of yaw control is what you need <laughs> um, when it comes to riding a mechanical bull because there's, also, there's pitch, yaw, and what's the third one? Roll. Roll. You got all three of those going on in this mechanical bowl, I believe.
0: Right. Uh, if you see one of these in a bar or if you rent one, I love that Ed did the research. And Ed lives in Buffalo, New York, and said, in Buffalo, you can rent one for three hours for 900 bucks. And it comes with <laughs> the operator and everything. I heard that. And then I thought, that might be a, have been a fun 50th birthday party. But <laughs> unfortunately, right. in quarantine, it'd be like three or four people standing around. That's not quite so fun. You
1: could ride it on Zoom for all of your party guests. (laughs) Uh,
0: But it is mounted very, very securely to a big floor plate. And uh, it is surrounded. I think Sherwood Cryer would drive around and collect mattresses at first. But now they have this big inflatable ring, basically, that surrounds Mm it. And uh, it's got a saddle. It's, It's usually the horse itself is... Um, fiberglass or or it's it's metal maybe, but it's covered in this sort of thick padding with leather, and right. then a real deal saddle.
1: Yeah, and um, the ones today, they're you know they're there were plenty built in the seventies and eighties, and even in the the nineties that look like old carnival funhouse rides, mm-hmm. basically. The controllers are real, like, old and janky-looking and colorful and kind of cool and retro. The ones today are... Um, touch screen, they have like speakers built into them. The padding around them isn't like a mattress. They're like blown air, like a bouncy castle kind of thing. Um so when you get thrown it it like doesn't feel like anything. It's actually kind of pleasant. Um and the controllers are much more computerized and less mechanized than they used to be in, in times past.
0: Yeah, and these days if you look at Urban Cowboy too, it is just sort of the body, if you would, of the bull uh now if you go to a a johnny utah's in new york or any kind of fun house are you getting free drinks there or something no i just learned of it and i didn't know that there was still a an urban cowboy type place in new york that you could go i think it's in it's got to be close to Times square it's in midtown
1: an urban urban cowboy bar that's referential to point
0: break that's like man (laughs) covering all the bases yeah um it, you they have uh, little fake foam bull heads and horns, and apparently mm-hmm. you can even find them with, if you want to ride a bison or a sh- or a ram like a sheep, <laughs> you can get a sheep's head put on or a ram's head put on.
1: Oh, it, it goes even more than that. I oh, looked really? it up. You there's a hammerhead shark. Oh gosh. Camel. Okay. Hot dog. Banana. Eh. And then apparently there are there's
0: like the this tawdry thread of bull riding there's a sexual element to it i think uh yes yeah, sure i mean ed ed found one of the settings is sexy right right on the actual operations of one machine ed found it was like pro intermediate beginner and sexy so it's definitely fair to say
1: okay and also what what i turned up is goes way beyond a sexy setting there's <laughs> a there's a penis one you can get uh, sure there's a one a woman called Horny Hannah and there's a guy named Randy Roger. Oh boy! So it gets pretty um, stupid. Sure, <laughs> it gets pretty like dark bachelorette party really right. quick. With when you if you if you want it to go that way, apparently you can you can make it go that way.
0: That's right. Uh, we were just speaking of the settings. There are those automated settings usually that. Uh, you can just hit pro or beginner or whatever, but you can also be in control. And I think the automated settings are much more common these days. I think back in the urban cowboy days, it was very much about a human operator mm-hmm. trying to, you know, really simulate a rodeo for uh, these sort of, I was about to say, pseudo competitions. They were competitions in bars.
1: Yeah. I mean, there would be like, you know, you could win, you know, a hundred bucks or something like that. 5,000 probably, probably urban probably cowboy. More. Okay. All right. So, so there was like a competition, but um, also like in bars, it was, you know, just to show off too. Like that was the whole reason. That's the entire reason for mechanical bulls. If you're sitting there wondering like, why does anybody do this? It's basically to just show off, to, to stay on as long as you possibly can, basically. And so like you're saying with the original operator, the operator's job was to Humiliate you is yeah. is that was the whole dynamic? You showing off, the operator trying to throw you off in a very humiliating fashion, and so the more you could stay on, or the longer you could stay on, despite the operator's best efforts, you know, the more of a show off you were, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not any different. uh It's not a far cry from any carnival game, right, where it shows some sort of feat of strength, whether you're. Hitting the the thing with a hammer to make the bell ring, or the punching bag to see how hard you can punch a thing, right? And the ones that you rent today for the parties, uh, Ed described it as an all in one entertainment center. I mean, it's got a built in PA system with speakers and a microphone and an amplifier and an electric scoreboard and timer, and right. it's just this big thing now. Whereas it started out as just sort of this very very rudimentary hydraulic thing,
1: yeah. Um, Which makes sense because, again, this is the kind of thing that you can rent, like a bouncy house, but for grown-ups. Yeah. Although they have little kids ones, too.
0: <laughs> I heard about those.
1: And then something else I saw is there's a—so um so there's, like, the riding the bull version. There's also a surfboard version that you stand on. Oh, okay. And I actually saw a video of a dude who combines those two. Look up on YouTube, man dances on mechanical bull wearing best <laughs> Sunday suit. And this guy is in a bar— uh, wearing a tie, uh-huh. dan- not not just standing up, dancing on a mechanical bull that's going at a pretty moderate rate. Wow. And it is one of the most astounding things I've ever seen in my life. Amazing. Yeah, but there's the version you can, you can rent that, or buy, I guess, if you're into that kind of thing, that is, it's like a surfboard and like the bouncy area around you, the padding is like a wave kind of thing. It looks pretty cool. Well, that's fun. I thought so too. It looks fun, at least.
0: So, if you're going to ride one of these things, uh, I will say most of the videos I saw at Johnny Utah's, among others, <laughs> is they they keep it pretty tame. Uh, although we'll talk about the dark side of that in a bit too. But um, mm-hmm. if if you're going to get like a real ride, then you want to go as forward on that thing toward the head of the bull as much as you can. Right. Uh, you want to grip that bull with your inner thighs and dig those heels in and keep your feet ahead of you and point those toes. Yeah. Apparently, you want to hang, you know, they have a strap that you put your hand in and then you put the other arm up. And They say to hang on with your non-dominant hand. That's all I've seen. That's all I've seen too. I don't know. I feel like I would be stronger with my dominant hand, but I don't know. I think you're well, using your non-dominant hand because
1: any stupid hand can hold on to a strap. Your dominant hand is balancing. You're holding it up in the air to balance, and you need a little more finesse. Okay. Think is that what that's it is? Why. Yeah, that's, All right. well, it's, that's my guess, and it makes sense to me because that's my guess.
0: And what you want to do is you want to go opposite. That's the whole idea. Right. If the bull bucks forward, you want to lean back. If it goes back, you want to lean forward towards its nose. You want to keep those legs tightened down as much as you can, and you want to try and keep everything from the waist up as loose as possible. But again, if you've been throwing down cowboy boot mugs full of beer uh, (laughs) at the old Roy Rogers, just do whatever you want, and good luck.
1: So this this advice comes from a a pro rider named Will Roberts, and um, he. uh, he basically says that if you take each one of these movements as, like, a wave that you're riding mm-hmm. and think of think of them um, discreetly as discrete motions and you're just handling each one at a time, you could stay on indefinitely. He didn't say the indefinite part and said – in fact, he said you shouldn't stay on longer than 15 seconds or else you're going to get hurt, like, in, at, with, at full bore. But I think you could stay on indefinitely. <laughs>
0: Well, One of those videos I saw was titled Something About Woman Rides Bull for So Long That Video Cuts Out, or something like that. Oh, is that right? <laughs> like she never fell off. I mean, it was going really slow, but uh, you know, she, she hang, hung in there, hanged well, in yeah. there.
1: Well, I, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. It depends on which one you
0: rented. Uh, well, if like we said, the rental price, uh, if you want to buy one of these systems, it's about 20 grand. I saw that too, but I also saw one on eBay for the
1: suspiciously low price of 6800 and it's possible the whole thing was used. I think if, if trampolines are one of those things you buy and then end up just wanting to get rid of, a mechanical bull is probably oh, yeah. 10x that, you know?
0: Yeah, I don't know if I would get on a mechanical bull where someone's like, I got a really good deal on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's basically free. Uh, All right, let's take another break, and we'll talk about, to me, what is the most interesting part of this episode, uh, which is sort of the history of Gilly's Saloon, right after this.
1: Okay, Chuck, you promised to talk about Gilly's Saloon. What is that?
0: Well, we talked about Mr. Cryer. He owned a saloon that was really kind of an oversized tent called Shelley's in mm-hmm. Pasadena, Texas, outside of Houston. Mm-hmm. And this was in the early 70s, like 1971. And he would bring in country singers who weren't big national acts yet, but they were sort of known regionally. And it was a popular bar, and it was getting bigger and bigger because that was oil country, people yeah. came in with some money and he said you know what i think this needs to not be a tent but to be a real deal saloon and he partnered up with a man named Mickey Gilly
1: right and i mean he gave him a pretty sweet deal he said look i want to build this thing out i'm going to build it out we're going to make it a more permanent structure and turned it eventually into like a 40,000 square foot bar multiple, yeah, was huge. multiple 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 bars um that was basically like a real deal texas Roadhouse and honky tonk, um, you Gilly, we're going to name it after you, and you and your house band um, are going to play basically every night. Yeah, and Gilly, uh, did you say that that was Jerry Lee Lewis's cousin? No, but he was. He yes, he was Jerry Lee Lewis's cousin. Um, still is possibly is he still alive?
0: <laughs> yeah, Mickey Gilly is eighty five, and okay. um, he had that big crossover hit with "Looking for Love" mm-hmm. or from his- the soundtrack, right? Uh oh, I don't yeah, was it on the Urban Cowboy I'm, soundtrack? I'm pretty
1: sure it was on the Urban Cowboy soundtrack, yeah.
0: Yeah, or as as uh Buckwheat would call it, uh Bookin Panub. Wookin' Panub. Whookin' Penub. And penub. And penub. <laughs> okay. And um he was no slouch though. He had forty two top forty country singles in his career.
1: So, what's funny is if I read an interview with him, I think in Texas Monthly, on like the 35th anniversary of Urban Cowboy, and he basically talks about how, you know, he was looking for love. love. <laughs> <laughs> but it was in all, all the wrong places. Um, he, uh, he, he was looking for stardom, and he just could never quite get it. So, I guess he was one of those unsung like highly successful people who never became a huge star. Right. And apparently he was trading on being Jerry Lee Lewis's cousin, mm-hmm. who was doing like tribute shows, cover shows, that kind of stuff. And was doing fine. But so when um Sherwood Cryer met up with him and formed a partnership with him, he, he became the namesake of Gillies, this incredibly popular honky-tonk outside of Houston um, that that became the setting for Urban Cowboy thanks to, randomly enough, uh, an Esquire article.
0: Yeah, this reminded me very much, and it's weird that they're both Travolta, but uh, Saturday Night Fever.
1: It's tied even more closely than that. The very editor who ran that Esquire article was the same co-founder of New York Magazine who ran uh, Tribal Rights of the New Saturday Night that gave rise. That was the basis of Saturday Night Fever.
0: All right, so it all comes full circle. I have I printed that out, uh, the tribal rights of Saturday Night back when we talked about it. Have not read it yet, and now I'm going to print out the Ballad of the Urban Cowboy in America's search for true grit. Right, and I'm going to have just both those articles sitting on my desk forever, probably. But I want to re- <laughs> I want to read them both because they were both the basis of two. Sort of landmark 70s movies that became cultural touchstones, and John Travolta was in both of them.
1: Yeah, it's really weird, but it's, it's cool. basically the same thing, except one is disco, set at a disco nightclub. The other one is country music, set at a country western bar. But it's the same exact thing, same format, mm-hmm. love, um, fighting, rivalry, jealousy. Competition. on a, Basically on a weekend night while everybody's getting trashed at a bar. It's just... And they were separated by two years. I think um, 76 was the Saturday Night um, New York Magazine article, and 78 was the one that featured Gillies.
0: Yeah, it's really pretty interesting time in our country's history that <laughs> they're almost two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And again, like I mentioned earlier, this is all going on at the same time that, like, punk music is, is saying, I hate all of you people.
1: <laughs> exactly. And for good reason, Look. That's right. So, so this guy, uh, I can't remember his name, um, Irving something. Berlin? I can't no, he was one of the uh, managers or promoters, or he had a lot to do with the Eagles. Um, he bought the rights to that article for like $200,000, which is a lot of money to spend on a magazine article option uh, at the time. And he he just knew that no matter what happened, he was going to have a huge soundtrack on his hands, just like Saturday Night Fever. Um, and it worked twice. It did work. He he apparently wanted it to be all Eagles, and the Eagles were like, no, nah, that's okay. We suck so terribly yeah. We even we wouldn't want to do a whole <laughs> Stop. soundtrack. Um, but it ended up being like a really great soundtrack. I've never heard it, but, I mean, just looking at the roster, Kenny Rogers, Charlie Daniels, Bonnie Raitt— um, and uh, Mickey Gilly had Looking for Love on it as well.
0: Yeah, what could It nub? It was great. We had the record in our house. Uh, like you said, they shot the movie. A lot of it was shot at Gilley's. Uh, that was the bar scene that, you know, was predominant in the movie and the competition between Scott Glenn and John Travolta uh, as, you know, they battled for for bragging rights, uh, cash money, and Deborah Winger's heart. And glory. Of course. the Well, the glory.
1: Man, Scott... Um, Scott Glenn? Yeah, I can't believe I just forgot his last name. I think he's one of the coolest actors ever.
0: Yeah, not a Carradine.
1: No, no, I, he's a Carradine plus.
0: Yeah, he. I think Scott Glenn was one of those that was always... I think he was always confused as a Carradine with a lot mm-hmm. of people because he sort I mean, of I has that look.
1: It. Sure, for sure.
0: So it was the big success of this movie that made Cryer say, I need to secure this patent because this thing's about to explode. And I think by that point, uh, the gentleman who he uh, who held that patent— Joe s- Turner. Yeah, Joe Turner said, well, let's up the price a little bit to, to $30,000. And Cryer or still said, yeah, that's don't tell this guy, but that's still a pretty good deal.
1: Yeah, because the mechanical bull is basically a third lead character in this movie. Deborah yeah. Winger, John Travolta, and this mechanical bull, El Toro, mm-hmm. the real mechanical bull at Gillies. Um, And became a huge part of the pop culture, and and Sherwood Cryer was smart enough to realize how big of a deal it was going to be, bought the patent for it, and now, if you wanted a mechanical bull for your bar that you just converted over to a honky-tonk format, you had to go buy one from Sherwood Cryer. And he made a lot of money off of those, from what I understand.
0: He did. Uh, I think he even won lawsuits when people tried to dodge his license. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he made a lot of money off of this fad. And it was indeed a fad, um, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, like I said, you go to Johnny Utah's. <laughs> oh, there was one on the Sunset Strip, too. I don't know if it's still there. There was a, God, what was the name of that place? Johnny LA? Mnemonics. No. <laughs> Another Keanu Johnny movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember. There, but there was a country western bar on the, on the Sunset Strip that had a mechanical bull as well.
1: Uh can't remember. I can't remember either. I um I know exactly what you're talking about, and I can't remember the name of it. It's super famous, right?
0: Uh it was for a while, and it wasn't even that long ago. Like I think when I lived there, it was still there. <sighs> Supercuts? No, and not hogs and heifers. That was in the meatpacking district in New York. But gotcha. uh this is what genuinely kicked off that whole movement that we talked about at the beginning with Southern culture and Western culture kind of being at the forefront and all these people doing crossover records and uh, pop music and country sort of intertwining and the lines being blurred Mm -hmm. and the Dallas Cowboys and J.R. Ewing. Like, this sort of all started with Urban Cowboy and this mechanical bull, El Toro.
1: I would argue that it started before that and that Urban Cowboy was on – you're right. It was catching a wave that was developing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're totally right. And gets
1: credit. But, I mean, like, if you look at Convoy, that Chris Christopherson movie. <laughs> yeah, I'll look that's at Convoy. <laughs> 1978. So, that was a couple of years before that. But it was the same year that article was published in Esquire. So, it was all kind of coming together, congealing at the same time.
0: Yeah, Irving uh, Cowboy it, didn't kick it off. It capitalized early on on what yeah. was coming, for sure.
1: But it came in at, like, at a time when it could still be considered cool and a huge contributor to the spread of it, right?
0: Yeah, and this was, like, it's it's funny. Like, I kind of look back with some fondness, even though it's it wasn't my scene. But if you talk to any of the old-timers from back then, they called them ghillie rats, these real,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, these these local bar patrons that was, they were the real deal. They mm-hmm. hated all this stuff, man.
1: Yeah, because it brought in all the posers and the tourists and, yeah. you know, people people on business trips passing through Houston had to go to Gillies. And I'm sure it just took something that was really sacred and special to them and, and commodified it in a really totally. sad way. I'm sure it was terrible. Yeah. At least for a while, and then I'm sure it went back to normal again generally.
0: And they were still on that bar stool in the same place.
1: Exactly. It just all kind of happened around them. Um, but speaking of that, Kind of country chic uh, trend that urban cowboy was a huge part of. I saw a reference to a fantasy island episode from mm. 1982 oh, boy. called "Everybody Goes to Gillies." <laughs> Mickey Gilly played himself. Awesome. And his fantasy was to make it big in the country music scene. And I Full think he circle. may have may have gotten it. <laughs> I think it was successful.
0: I wonder if tattoo got up on that thing.
1: I don't know. I could not find the episode. I just was reading about it, which is kind of disappointing when it comes to Fantasy Island.
0: I wanted to see that movie, the Hervé Villaché movie with uh, Peter Dinklage, but I never got around to it. Did you see uh, that?
1: I forgot that they made that. No, I haven't seen it. No.
0: So as far as Gillies goes, um, I wondered, you know, I wasn't sure the deal. and I was like, surely you can still go to Gillies, but you can't because Gillies <laughs> burned to the ground. It did, uh,
1: suspiciously. Apparently, it was ruled an arson. And this came after there was a dispute between Mickey Gilly and Sherwood Crier. And apparently, Mickey Gilly, who had been approached by Sherwood Crier to basically come in as a partner on his bar, came out victorious, triumphant, and uh, ended up on the winning end of this, this dispute and mm-hmm. apparently walked away with most of the profits. And I guess Gilly said in at least one interview— that um he he expected that it was Sherwood Cryer who had burned Gillies to the ground in nineteen eighty nine. That's quite an accusation. It really is. But I was reading again that Texas Monthly article. I think it's called Urban Cowboy Turns Thirty Five. And it's like an oral history, which is the laziest form of journalism. But it's still Oh pretty I love oral histories. Do you? Yeah. Well, then that explains why they keep making them. I thought it was just like, <laughs> I don't feel like actually writing today. I'm just going to transcribe. Oh, I think it's kind of cool. I like them. Well, you would like this. You, you should read it. It's very long, uh, and it's really in-depth, and they talk to some of the original gilly rats, and a couple of them who worked for uh, Sherwood Cryer have to say, like, this: this guy was an amazing human being, but he was also somebody— who would beat someone with a pool cue if, like, they were causing trouble at Gillies and did do that. And, like, you did not want to run afoul of this guy. Um, but was also, like, a really fascinating, interesting, smart human being, too.
0: Yeah, shout out to Texas Monthly, too. That's a really good rag. I It uh, really is. I read a couple of things from there for some podcasts we were developing a couple of years ago. And it was really good. They did these great deep dive, uh, mm-hmm. not – not um Oral histories, but like, you know, real journalists. Long form. <laughs> yeah.
1: There's a guy named Skip something. Oh, man, I can't remember Skip's name. I'll look it up, everybody. Don't worry about it. But Skip Hollinsworth or something like that, he's one of their better journalists for long form at Texas Monthly. He's great. But there's a lot of them. They have a good good stable there.
0: Totally. Um, and in 2019, uh, they announced that there would be a new Gillies. Uh, but it is not just going to be a bar. It's going to be a 16-acre multi-use development. And apparently El Toro survived the fire, mm-hmm. and they're bringing the original El Toro back just to put on display.
1: So I found one reference is that, that El Toro survived the fire. It was in the Ocala Star Banner. And okay. What does anybody in Ocala, Florida know? I don't know. But they said that El Toro survived the 1989 fire and that it was moved to Cowboy Jacks in Woodbury, Minnesota. So it's I looked up specific. Cowboy Jacks. There is a Cowboy. Right. I thought so, too. Cowboy Jacks makes no mention of having the original El Toro at mm, any point.
0: That's suspicious because you would really lean into that.
1: Oh, dude. It's all I would ever talk about to anybody. But <laughs> that's, that's what the Ocala Star Banner says. Cowboy Jacks does not back it up. So who knows exactly what happened to El Toro.
0: That's right. Like, don't get on that bull of Johnny Utah's. You're going to catch something. You come ride El Toro.
1: Gonna catch some Johnny mnemonic on that thing.
0: Uh, there was, <laughs> there were some injuries though that we um, would be remiss without mentioning. There have been plenty of lawsuits over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a woman in Santa Barbara County that was left a quadriplegic when she landed on her neck. Oh boy! So obviously, if you get thrown off something, if you land wrong, that can be bad news. Uh, mm-hmm. A man in Bergenfield, New Jersey, in Bergen County, that uh, was left with permanent injuries, and then at Johnny Utah's. Uh, A New York woman won $70,000 because she tore her ACL at Johnny Utah's, and her lawyer said this. They just kind of throw people around while they're drunk.
1: I think (laughs) that 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 guy summed up the mechanical bull about as good as anybody ever has.
0: Yeah, that was how he described the operators. He said they just kind of throw people around. And then I went to YouTube, looked up Johnny Utah's, and if you want to – spend some time looking at very bad camera phone videos of drunk friends filming drunk friends, Mm -hmm. riding very slowly on these mechanical bulls to bad (laughs) music. You can do it. But you can sort of see in a few of these videos, there would be some drunk lady or a drunk guy who was just, you know, being kind of obnoxious. And you could tell that the, but they weren't coming off. Mm -hmm. And you could tell that the operator was, would get sick of it. And they were going real slow. Then there'd be like a zoop. <laughs> right. And just a really quick little flick of that switch. And it would just like toss them off of there real fast.
1: There is no way that there's not a term among mechanical bull operators <laughs> yeah, for that move. For that
0: move. <laughs> yep. There has to be.
1: Oh, 1,000%. I wonder yeah, what it if, is. If you know, please let us know because we we have to know.
0: We got gillied.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We um, got anything else? Thankfully, no. Okay. Well, that's it for Mechanical Bulls. If you want to know more about Mechanical Bulls, then start watching thrown-off Mechanical Bull videos. There's, like you said, a lot of them. Uh, And since I said thrown-off Mechanical Bulls, it's time for Listener Mail.
0: You know what I was just thinking? This could be the jackhammers of the next generation of Stuff You Should Know, listeners. Mechanical Bulls? (laughs) I don't know.
1: Was it I think Urban (laughs) Cowboy saved it. Without Urban Cowboy, absolutely. I think you're right. John Travolta (laughs) saves the day again.
0: And then it hit me. I was like, the common denominator, hydraulics. We got to avoid hydraulics from here on out.
1: I think you might be right, dude. All
0: right. So where are we? Listener mail?
1: Yep. I think Jerry already did the chime.
0: All right. I'm going to call this uh, CIA correction from Anonymous. Oh. Hey, guys. I've been a Stuff You Should Know listener for years. I love the work you do. As someone who was formerly employed by the CIA, I particularly enjoy the latest episode on Havana Syndrome. I've since left that job because of ethical concerns, but I have one nit to pick, and that's when you talk about people who work in the CIA, uh, you call them agents, which is not right. Uh, They're actually officers. There is no such thing as a CIA agent.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. This did is they news say to that this, this basically ruined the entire episode for them, that one thing?
0: <laughs> no, they are nice. But, I mean, we always say CIA agent because we're children of television and film. I didn't know yeah. it wasn't even a thing.
1: Everybody says that.
0: Uh, they say this. I know the media gets wrong uh, gets this wrong a lot. So it's understandable that's the terminology that folks use. But in the interest of always learning and improving, I thought I'd pass this along. Very nice. Um, Josh actually did say officer a couple of times uh, somewhere in the middle. And that was the exception for you guys.
1: That's
0: great. Uh, Other than this admittedly small quibble, I love everything you guys do and often use my favorite old episodes to calm my anxiety or to help as I fall asleep. Uh, Currently in heavy rotation in the Max Headroom incident and Star Wars holiday special episode.
1: That that will calm you down for sure. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. Thanks very much for uh, for reading the message. All the best, Anonymous. And uh, initially, Anonymous said maybe use my initials because it might be a little paranoid about this being former CIA. Uh, But then they said, you know, how about just no initials? I think that's smart. Just go
1: with anonymous.
0: Exactly. In fact, I made this whole thing up. There is no former officer that left for ethical concerns.
1: This listener mail will self-destruct in three (laughs) seconds.
0: Two, one.
1: Well, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, we love hearing from people, whether they are from the CIA or uh, the NSA or the FBI who else, Chuck?
0: Oh, ATF. Sure. And that's it. No one else.
1: Okay. Um, if you want to get in touch with us and send us some trade secrets, we would love to hear that stuff. You can wrap it up. Send it in an email off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com.
0: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Radio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.